as tonight we continue our journey through the book of Deuteronomy. We've got a few more chapters left, and and then we get into the book of Joshua, which I'm really, really excited about. But I don't know if you guys heard this or not. I got an email today uh, about a, a wrestler in Iowa. It's actually a girl wrestler, and it's the first time, according to the article, that a girl won a state wrestling match. I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, I used to wrestle in high school, and to get to the state, uh, you know, finals is is a big thing. And uh, this girl uh, actually won though by forfeit. And it's a real interesting article. I like it because it, it speaks of a high schooler. He's a sophomore in high school who forfeited the wrestling match. The reason being, he had convictions, a a personal conviction. It, it's the it's his uh, faith in God that said, you know what, I can't wrestle a girl. You know, I'll touch her inappropriately. Uh, it's a, kind of a violent activity if you think about it. And yet here she is. She's wrestling all year round. She makes it through league finals and CIF and all these different things. She, she makes it to state. And she finally comes up to a young man with conviction. And he says, I can't do that. I'll, I'll touch her in the wrong spot. It's not right in God's sight. And I was so blessed. You know, here's a guy. Last year, he was a freshman. He took third in state. Um, more than likely, he would have won it this year. But to him, his convictions were more important than his own accomplishments. And, you know, in reading that article right there, to me, you guys, I, I just pray that, that God would move in our hearts as we're going through Deuteronomy. It's really a book of obedience. It's a book of convictions. It's a book that... You know, the Lord gives us principles and precepts in which we must come to grips with. And even though the rest of the world might do it, and all these other guys wrestled with her, and, you know, they could have justified it, and he could have justified it, he didn't. He held to his integrity. And I pray that God would raise up men like that in this church, men who would take care of their families, Men who would take care of their children, take care of their marriages, take care of their jobs, their their responsibilities that they have in life. And women with the same convictions. Because we need that. That's the fabric of society. Dads must be dads. Husbands, wives, kids, every responsibility that we have. Because once the family falls apart, then so does society. And so today we enter into an interesting portion here in Deuteronomy 29 and 30 in which Moses renews the covenant of Israel with God. They're entering in, they're establishing, they're reestablishing a covenant. And and real quick, before we get into it, I just want to encourage you guys and remind you that, you know, um, this Christianity thing, it's a covenant. I think a lot of times we forget the contract, the covenant, the agreement, that we've entered into you know we might look at the old testament we look at israel and we think well yeah we can see kind of their covenant we see all the laws and rules and regulations and things like that you know we see the final formalities and you know stuff like this and but a lot of times we don't realize that you and i we got the same thing going on we've got a covenant we've got a contract with god that's what you signed up for that's what you live in you made him the lord of your life. And as the Lord, he calls the shots. We entered into a relationship as Savior. We, we have faith in him, right? We believe in him. He said the sinner's prayer, whatever it is. Savior and Lord. And that means that he is 
the master of your life. And that's the covenant. That's the contract. There was an old covenant. Now there's a new covenant. He's your savior and he's your Lord. And so for us, there's a application in that. And it's not just for them. There's things that we look at and we see the uniqueness of Israel, but there's things that we look at and I pray that we would come away with. And as we go through studies like this, I pray that when it's over, man, that we walk out stronger with basically a deeper commitment to the Lord. Because uh, look what we read here in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 29. It says, These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now, Moab is right there just outside of uh, the promised land. You know, they're just about to cross over into the Jordan. Um, Prior to that, somewhere around 40 years earlier, they had made a covenant with God back in Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. Now they're over here in the land of Moab and they're doing a new covenant. Now some say it's a renewal. Some say it's an addition. It doesn't matter. You know, it's this covenant that we're entering into, that they're entering into. And for us, you know, maybe we can kind of look at it this way. You, you gave your life to Christ and that's when it started. That's Horeb, so to speak. That's Mount Sinai. Now it's 40 years later and you're renewing that covenant. You're renewing that commitment. You know, for them, uh, that was what was going on as a country. Uh, Some translations use the terms of the covenant. And just in case you're interested, the word covenant is found six times in our text today. That's really the element of what we're speaking of, the covenant of God's people with God. We have the same thing. The word covenant means a pledge. It means divine ordinance with pledges between God and men. And that's where Israel was going. These are the terms of the covenant, he says right there in verse 1. These are the terms of the covenant. And so we read in verse 2, it says, Now Moses called all Israel, and he said to them, You've seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread nor have you drunk wine or similar drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Ah, king of Bashan, they came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, to the Gadites, and to half the tribe of Manasseh. In verse 1, we see the terms of the covenant. It's a covenant now. And in verses 2 through 8, now Moses communicates what the Lord has done up to this point. You know, and as we enter into a covenant with God, um, it's cool to just remind ourselves, once again, maybe it's 40 years later, maybe it's 14 years later, it doesn't matter. Man, look at what the Lord has done. Look at what he's done, you guys. Let's not get blind to these things. Let's not get deaf to the things that he's told us over the years, the signs that he's shown us over the years. 
he communicates what the Lord has done up to this point. You know, one of the amazing things is they were freed from Egypt, which is a huge thing. You know, I know you guys know about that in the book of Exodus, how God, man, just did these uh, ten wonders, set them free. Exodus 19.4, it says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. Think about that. I brought you to myself. Remember the day that you got saved? Remember what God did? You know, for some of us here, it was a one-day deal. For others of us here, it was, maybe it was a series of time. But God says, man, I want you to never forget that. He says, you have seen what the Lord has done there in Egypt and to Pharaoh, and he wiped them all out, and he set you free. And, and then he says how the Lord has provided for them in the wilderness. I was going to show you guys my shoes. I've had these shoes for 40 years. I don't know if you guys knew this. I got them when I was five. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) How many of you here have had shoes for 40 years, man, that you've worn every single day and they haven't worn out? I mean, that's missionary shoes, huh? That's what they say. (laughs) I mean, God said, man, you guys were there in the wilderness and uh, your clothes haven't worn out on you and your sandals haven't worn out on your feet. Uh, other versions say your feet never were swollen, even though you were walking everywhere. He talks about how they had victories there in verse 7 over Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan. These are huge guys, 10 feet tall. Some say bigger, huge guys. God said, look at the victories that I've given you. And then he says there in verse 8, and, and we've already received a portion of our inheritance. You know, the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they already got their land. He's just trying to say to them, look at how faithful I've been. Look at the things that I've done. See, that's what he's trying to share with them. But the interesting thing there in verse 4, it says, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. Even though Israel, man, they went through so much. God did so much. God did amazing signs and wonders. They really didn't get it. It just didn't, it didn't sink in. They, they saw it, but they didn't perceive it. They, they heard it, but it, it, it just went in one ear and out the other. Um, you know, they, oh, it just really never sunk in. You know, and, and we see this, an interesting thing, verse 4. Again, look if you look closer, yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive. You know, when you read that right there, it almost sounds like God is not allowing them to perceive. God's not allowing them to see. God's not allowing them to hear. And, you know, if you think about it, um, it's, it's partially true. You know, sometimes things aren't really sinking in, man, because, you know, God's not, God's not letting it sink in. But the reason why God wouldn't do that work in someone's life is partially because they, they wouldn't let him. See, there's this beautiful balance when you read the Bible. And I think it's something that we have to really understand because that's, you know, it's the Lord. You know, it's not just you. Some people say, well, it's just me. It's all up to me. No, it's not all up to you. If God's going to do a work in your life, he's going to give you a heart that's right. It's going to be God. But you, you really got to let it be God. And over in Matthew thirteen fifteen, there's a really neat scripture. Kind of the same thing. It says, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. 
Their ears are hard of hearing. Okay, hearts dull, ears are, are, are hard of hearing. Their eyes, it says, they have closed. Think about that. They have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Same thing, so that I should heal them. You see, it's partially them and then it's partially God. It's both God and man. John MacArthur said this. He said, The Lord had not given them an understanding heart because the people had not penitently sought it. You know, I think a true change of one's life requires, number one, humility. you got to realize that only God can do this. Do you believe that? Do you think that only God can do this? Okay. And then secondly, it requires not just a heart of humility, but it requires a heart of sincerity. I think that only God can do this, and I really want God to do this. I want to change. I want to be a different man. I want to let go of my sin. And when it's real, then you free God to come in and to strengthen you. And to see things that you wouldn't normally see to give you a deeper vision, a deeper hearing. Things will go into your heart and you'll understand. And all of a sudden, man, like, you know, I remember the day that I got glasses. I was 12 years old. The first day I got glasses, man. And I put those glasses on and it was like, wow. I could see that that, that the trees weren't just a green blob, that there's actually leaves on them, you know. And some Christians, man, the bottom line is, you you know, you can't see. And you're trying your best, man. But your best is not going to cut it. You need a miracle. You need God to come in and to strengthen you. It's a difference between Peter before Pentecost and after. A complete difference. You see, it's got to be the Lord. It's man's responsibility combined with God's sovereignty. You know, we see this over and over again throughout the scriptures. You know, in the book of Revelation, seven times Jesus asked that question. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church, right? See, as we're here today, and you guys, God is doing things in your life, and I don't know if you're seeing it or not, man, but I pray that you would. You know, God is telling you things. You've got to let it go beyond your eardrums and into your heart. Question, number one, can you see who he is? And secondly, can you hear what he's asking of you? You see, there's a a lot of times I think as Christians we we miss out on this. There's a really neat story. I I think it's in Matthew 16. Let's see if it's over there, if you turn with me. Um, Matthew 16. How many of you think that being a Christian is walking with Jesus? A lot of us here think that, huh? You're walking with Jesus, right? It's cool. Look what it says here in Matthew 16 and verse 6. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among them, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. There they are, they're reasoning, you know. In verse 8, but Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you brought no bread. 
Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? You see, the Lord had been trying to teach them. And so what he did is he said, man, you know, give me a few uh, loaves and fish and I'll multiply it and I'll feed 10,000 people. And then he does it again, just in case, you know, they didn't miss it or didn't get it the first time. And so you would figure that, you know, if they're ever lacking in bread, you know, you would figure that they would learn the lesson that Jesus got it covered, right? <laughs> and so what ends up happening, hey, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're thinking, oh, we didn't bring bread. And they're just not learning. And there they are walking with Jesus, and they're not learning. And here we are a lot of times walking with Jesus, and we're not learning, you guys. It's like, man, why aren't we learning? You still don't understand? You mean to tell me you've been walking with a Christian, with the Lord for this long, and you still don't understand the simplicity of lordship? You still think your body's your own? You still think you can do whatever you want with your eyes or your lips or your mouth or your hands? I mean, a lot of times, you know, we don't think God will provide for us. And he just told you, man, your chanclitas are still good. I don't understand, man. You mean, you, you're, you're always going to have food. You don't have to worry about that. You're always going to have clothes. He will always give you what you need. You guys... This is God. This is reality. This is Christianity. This is what God wants us to walk in. And so back in Deuteronomy, the Lord is telling them, you guys have been through a lot. And the bottom line is, you still don't understand and you still don't see and you still don't hear. But I need to say these things to you. Back in verse 4 of Deuteronomy 29, the Lord has not given you, notice, a heart. And we're going to talk about the heart a lot today. The heart is used eight times in the two chapters we're studying in this study because the heart uh, of us, this is the whole matter. The, the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. He's got to meddle with the middle. It's got to be who you really are deep down inside. And so as we're entering into this covenant, God has done his part. We're to do ours. Our heart has to be right. And so we're going to see this over and over and over again. You know, all this is done in verse 6. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink. Um, they had eaten manna, huh? Angelic food. Uh, God had given them water from the rock. In other words, God had provided for them. You know, and if we would kind of open up our eyes, we will see today that God has provided for us. The job that you have, God gave it to you. The skills that you have to do the job that you're doing, God gave it to you. The house that you live in, the cars that you have, the clothes that you're wearing, the very breath that you take, God gave it to you. See, and that's what he's trying to tell them, man. I, I, I've I provided for you, look what he says right in verse 6, that you may know that I'm the Lord your God. You see, he's telling them, you guys are in this crazy wilderness place. I've always taken care of you. And the reason is, is because I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know that you belong to me. 
and I belong to you. You see, that's the heart. And that's what this covenant is all about. And so he says there in verse 9, Therefore, here's application, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. And we come back to this, huh? Just over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. You know, therefore, you belong to God. God has committed himself to you. You're establishing a covenant with him. Therefore, do what he asks you to do so that he would be freed up to completely bless your life. And I know you guys have seen that in people. I know there's examples that God gives to us. People who have been sold out and surrendered, completely committed, obedient, and God has blessed their life. And you see it. And you see it in the Bible. And God says, that's what I want to do to you. And so what I want you to do is just keep the words of this covenant and, and do them. And we talked about this a lot last time, that it's not just hearing, it, it's a doing. You see, prosperity hinges on hearts of obedience. If they kept the words of the covenant, they would prosper Notice it says right there, in everything, in all that you do, you guys. You know, Joshua 1.8, I love that verse. Says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then I will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, the, the, the blessings, the prosperity, man, the word prosper, it means to be successful. It means to thrive. It means to flourish. You know, and all of us here, you guys, young people, older people, man, you don't, man, what God wants to do in your life is he wants to, you know, flourish your life. He wants you not just to survive. He doesn't want you to just squeak by. He wants you to thrive. And that will happen when you live life according to his word. It's all written right here in the Bible, the principles and the precepts we have to live life. He says there in verse 10, All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel. Look at, they even had the little ones there, man. There's no children's ministry, man. Their little ones were there. Their wives, the stranger who's in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God makes with you today that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he has spoken to you just as he has sworn to your fathers to Abraham Isaac and Jacob I will make this covenant and this oath not with you alone but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God as well as with him who is not here with us today. In this section right here, we see the, the what, we see the who, and we see the why. The what is found in verse 12, that they were entering into a covenant, that you may enter into covenant. See, that's the what. And that's what God wants to do, is he wants to enter into that covenant with you. If you're here today, just in case, and you're not a Christian, that's where it starts, man. You enter into the covenant. But then he wants to establish you in verse 13, to establish you. And that word right there, it means to be confirmed. It means to ratify. It means to make binding. And so this is a, a covenant. 
It's almost like a marriage. It's like that's what Christianity is, kind of like. We're the bride. He's the bridegroom. You know, you're marrying him. You're committing to him to stay true to him. We're going to see later to be loyal to the Lord. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to enter into this binding relationship. As far as who would do it, it's verse 10. It says, all of you. Your leaders, your tribe, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, even your little ones, your wives, the stranger. In verse 14 and 15, it even says even those people aren't even there today. In other words, those that were going to be born. It was a covenant of God with Israel. That's what was going on. Why? Well, we read there in verse 13, and this is the heart of it that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you. Now, that's an interesting thing, that he may be God to you. What do you mean that he may be God to you? Isn't he already God? Well, he's already God. huh? But what you do when you enter into a relationship with him is you kind of allow him to, to get involved and, and to kind of take over. You see, when you resist the Lord, it's kind of, but not completely, but it's kind of like living life without God. It's kind of like God says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you do your own thing. And when you do your own thing, you want to know what happens? Your life will digress. You will sink lower and lower. I'm not saying you're going to be poor. Who knows? Maybe you'll be rich. But you won't be rich spiritually and you won't be rich in the real things of life. That he may be God to you. That he would be the one that you would have to lead you, to guide you with his eye, with his love, with his insight. You see, that's what he's saying, man. I want to enter this covenant relationship with you, Israel. And I want you to shine in this world. And so he says there in verse 16, it's a tough thing to do because look, for, for you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations and that... There may not be among you a root of bitterness or bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. The Lord would not spare him for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him. And the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. Here in this chapter, you guys, God is just saying, I want to renew a covenant with you. I want you to look back and look at what I've done. Now, unfortunately, Israel wasn't really seen but God said, I've been faithful. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to do it with. This is really why I want to do it. I want to be your God. 
But just as we see in the world today, most people will resist. Most people will follow the dictates of their own heart. And so what we see right here is God then, he warns them. He really, really warns them. In verse 16 and 17, we see the display of idolatry. Um, it was all around them. And again, you know, we dwelt in the land of Egypt and the nations that you passed through and, and you saw their abominations and their idols, which were among them, wood and stone and silver and, and gold. You know, and most of us here, I would probably venture to say we don't worship, you know, golden statues. At least I hope you don't, man. You don't worship wooden statues and things like that. You know, and so why does the Bible talk so much about idolatry? Well, it's because the heart of um, our disobedience, the core of it, is simply when we put things before the Lord, when we put ourselves before the Lord. And so there you are and you're in Egypt and there's just temptations everywhere, huh? And you're going through the nations, he says, and you saw the temptations everywhere. And that's us, probably even more so in America. Then the temptations are everywhere, huh? You just turn on your computer, man, and they call it the World Wide Web for a reason, huh? A lot of crazy things going on there. I really want to encourage you parents, man, monitor your children. Some parents, it's amazing to me, they don't have a clue what their kids are doing online. And their kids are out there meeting people, falling in love with people online. And I have to tell you that because i got to warn you, it's crazy. Wasting time, a lot of things. Temptations are everywhere. Here we see it's a display of idolatry as they go through Egypt, as they go through the nations. You know, I know for me, in my house, man, I've got locks. You know, my kids can only go to the approved websites. That I, these are the ones you can go to, none other. They can't go to any other. My daughter's 17 years old. You know, she, you know, every once in a while she'll kind of say, hey, Dad, you know, come on. But, you know, as parents, man, we got to protect them, right? And she can't be on there for that long, and she can't be out there without us watching her on the computer. Is it because I don't trust her? No, I trust her. I don't trust them. We have to make decisions, you guys, because these temptations are everywhere as parents. Make it when they're young, because then it'll be a little easier, you know, when they get older. The temptations are everywhere. We see the display of idolatry. We see the depth and damage of idolatry. Look at verse 18. So that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God. He said, I don't want anyone to be there to go and serve these gods of these nations and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And what he's basically saying is that, man, I don't want anybody to turn away because when that individual in the congregation turns away, it's like they will then become a root of poison. Poison. And that's what he's saying, man. You've got to be so careful. None. Let none of our hearts turn away. Let there be no depth or damage of idolatry. Let there be no deceit of idolatry. Because look at verse 19. And so... It may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I'll be all right. I'll have peace. Even though he does whatever he wants. 
And there's people like that. Maybe you're here tonight and you know, you're doing your own thing and you're hearing the warnings. Here's the warnings. God will be angry with you. God himself will fight with you. But you think you're okay. Oh, I'll be okay. And you kind of, you kind of comfort yourself. I'm here to tell you right now that you will not be okay. You won't. That's what he's saying. Be so careful, man. The dictates of the heart, the stubbornness, the hardness is what that word dictates means. Jeremiah 7:24. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but they followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts. And they went backward and not forward. And so we see in verse 20 and 21, the danger of idolatry. Oh, Manny, what's the danger? God. (laughs) Because it says right there that God gets angry. Anger. And you just put a D in front of that and it's danger, man. (laughs) God loves you. God loves you and he will spank you. He really will. We see in verse 22, so that the coming generation, after they discipline them, look what happens. The coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it, the whole land is brimstone, salt, and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? And then the people would say, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against this land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. And so what are you saying, Manny? I'm not going to live in Almani anymore? Is that what God's saying? (laughs) You know, for them, it was the land. Uh, it was a geographical location that God would then uh, deport them from. They got deported by God, you know, right? For us, it is the perfect will of God for your life. You're not going to get that land. Not if you persist and insist on living your own life. God is gracious. God is wonderful. God is amazing. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't want you to look back necessarily, but I want you to look in. Look into your heart. Where are you at now? And where will you go from this day forward? Because if you defiantly and repeatedly and insistently go your own way, God says, I'm going to deport you. And you're not going to have plan A anymore. You might not even end up with plan B. You know, plan C. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going to happen. 
But see, God has this land that he wants to give to you. Right here, he says, man, when the people, they see everything that happens, um, they're going to trip out and they say, man, how did this happen? You know, and I, being in the ministry and being a Christian, I know some of you guys have been here for a long time. Haven't you seen crazy things happen? I mean, you've seen these guys that were pastors or these guys that were missionaries or these guys that were so right on. And now they're thrashed, huh, in life. And they lost everything. It's kind of interesting. Did you guys know Sodom was at one time a beautiful garden? Uh, it says that when Lot looked at Sodom, that it was a paradise. In Genesis 13.10, Lot lifted his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord. I mean, it was like what? The garden of Eden. Sodom at one time was beautiful. But then what ended up happening? They followed the dictates of their own heart. They did their own thing. And now it's salt. It's, it's wiped out. And you see some lives, man, that are so beautiful. They're so fruitful. They're so um, awesome. But then they just won't learn that lesson, that they're not God, that God's God, that God wants to bless their life if they would live a life of obedience. They end up getting overthrown like we read right here. You see... Moses says, man, people are going to pass by and they're going to trip out. The reproach of rebellion, the foolishness of forsaking the covenant. Here's the explanation of all the evils that have happened to them. They see and they say, wow, look at the devastation of this nation. Why has the Lord done this to them? And the answer is a simple lack of loyalty and the serious sin of idolatry. Question, is God first in your life? See, he's got to be first. You know, we know in Israel, for those of you guys who read through the Bible, that whole journey of going through, uh, you know, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you see the rise and fall of Israel and the kings. And how long suffering was the Lord, huh? Until eventually the time came where they crossed the line. And what happens? The Babylonians come, right? God gave them time to repent, but they wouldn't. So... They were then devastated. They were then excommunicated, right? And we uses them as an illustration for us. It's not that complicated. Look at verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. You know, there are some questions we have in life, you know, like, I don't know, you know, silly questions. I shouldn't go there probably. The chicken or the egg, you know, which one was it first? You know, we know for sure it was a chicken, right? Um, just a lot of different things, you know. Uh, we have questions. And you know what? That's, that's the Lord's doing. You know, the secret things, they belong to the Lord. But the things that are revealed, they, they belong to us. See, and that's the Bible. That's the statutes, the judgments, the commandments of God. They're clear. You don't have to worry about all the stuff that, you know, there's no, there's no answer to. You don't have to worry really too much about that. What you need to focus on is the revelation of God's will for your life. And you need to take ownership of that. It says the things that are revealed, 
They belong to us. It's not just there. It's yours. It's mine. To obey the revealed will of God is then, you know, the key to knowing the concealed will of God. You know, it's our obligation to take ownership. It's our obligation to obey. You know, for us in looking at this, you guys, he's going to talk more about this later. It's not it's not really that complicated. You know, a lot of times people think, well, being a real Christian means you got to like, you know, have a degree in theology. You know, and being a strong Christian means, you know, I need to go to Bible college. And, you know, Bible college will definitely help you. But just being obedient in the simple things, huh? In the simple things and the things that are clear will help us, I think, in obedience to the basics as Christians. Verse third, chapter 30, he says, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, notice with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. And then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. You see, God right here, he promises to bless the people if they repent. You know, and you know, maybe you're here today and, and maybe God says, listen, this is something I want to change in your life. Um, I want you to come clean in this area. Um, and, you know, who knows, maybe you're even here tonight and thinking, well, I don't know about me because I'm really far out there, Manny. And that's why the Lord says right there, he says in verse 4, it doesn't even matter. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, God said, I'll gather you back. Remember Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son, the forgiving father? Remember how excited he was when his son came home? He ran to him. It was undignified for a father to do that. Every day he'd be looking and saying, man, will my son come home today? Will my son come home today? And then the day that his son came home, remember how happy he was? Remember what he did? He put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He put a robe and he threw a a party, a celebration. My son was lost and now he's found again. See, that's God's heart. But we got to have heart too. God will forgive us if we return to him. See, we got to come and we got to really come. You know, because I... You know, over the years, and I'm sure you guys have seen it too, and, you know, when I was younger in the Lord and when I was younger just as an individual, man, I was very um, naive, and I think I, I still am, you know, so pray for me, man. Because <laughs> uh, what's that word gullible? That word gullible, you believe everything people say. And I, I just kind of like think, well, you know, why would they lie, you know? <laughs> yeah, because they're liars, huh? That's a good reason, man. But there's a lot of people, they, they say a lot of good stuff, but they keep doing bad stuff. And, I, and man, I'm just, I love them, 
But man, you're like, what's up? What's up? I mean, you have the Holy Spirit living inside you to do the right thing. And if you're struggling with doing the right thing, you go and you ask somebody for help. But don't say the right thing and keep living the wrong life. And that's what happens a lot. It's got to be in verse 2, with all your heart and with all your soul. you got to come under the, the authority of God's word. You can't just do whatever you want. It's got to be real. It's got to be with all your heart and with all your soul. Watch, if you go over to Jeremiah, and I know you know this verse, but it's so cool when you read it, you know, because this is a... A lot of people, their favorite, favorite scripture here in Jeremiah 29. Remember, this is when they were in Babylon. This is exactly what the Lord is saying, man. When you're out there and you're being punished, you're out there. God says, I'm going to bring you back. And But this is the way it works in Jeremiah 29 in verse 10. Uh, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. You know, to return. I love that. God says, even though you're there smack in the middle of Babylon, you're being disciplined, I'm going to bring you back to the land at at the right time, right? Because he says in verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You see, you know, we're going over the word of God. And, you know, God says, "Do, do life my way. And you got to know that it's for your own benefit. You know, God says, I love you. It's thoughts of peace, not of evil. I want to bless your future. I want you to have this hope. In verse 12, and then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your hearts. God says this, basically he says this, I'm waiting for you to get real. And the moment that you get real, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. And I'll set you free. You see, and that's the same thing we read. It's got to be with all your heart. Sometimes things happen, you know, and, you know, back in the book of Deuteronomy, man, and, you know, in life, you know, people end up getting exposed. And so now what are you going to do when you get exposed? Question, are you busted or are you broken? Which one is it? Are you busted or are you broken? Right? We've got to be broken. Are you delirious or are you serious? Which one is it, man? A lot of people are delirious. They're not really serious. Is it in your head or is it in your heart? Here's the core question. Do you want to please God or yourself? And you know what? For a lot of time, a lot of Christians here, and I don't want to sound weird, but for some of you here, for a few of you here, this is the bottom line. You don't want to please God. You want to please yourself. That's the heart of the matter. You're not willing to take up your cross and die like Jesus did. And yet that's what he's calling you to do as a husband, as a father. Right? As a leader. That's what leaders are supposed to do. And so that's what he's saying. He said, I'll I'll forgive you. I'll have compassion on you. And a lot of people are like, yeah, God's grace. Oh, it's just so wonderful. It's so flowing over my life. But you want to know something? If you're not repenting, 
That, that doesn't even apply to you. He'll have compassion on you when you come clean. Verse 3, and I'll have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. The mercy he gives, the love, it's a deep love. It speaks of his tender affection. And so God is saying, I want to bless your life, but I'm asking you to be real. And if you're real in your repentance, I don't care how far you've gone, what you've done or where you've run, I want you to know that I can restore your life. I will forgive you and I will restore a relationship with you. Does that mean that you're going to have everything that you would have had before? Maybe not. I don't know. Only God knows. But don't worry about that. You just got to come to the Lord now. God can give you a second chance. We read that in verse 5. God will do a new and true work. We read that in verse 6. And again, look at verse 6. Isn't it cool? And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. It's interesting. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. And what he'll do is he'll give you the capacity to love him. And you're like, wait a minute, time out. I thought that was like my job, you know. <laughs> and, and again, we kind of come back to where we were earlier. Huh? It's partially your job, but it's primarily a work of God. Where there's this flesh over our heart, and God will take out his scalpel and circumcise your heart And you, as a man or a woman, will never be the same. And you will love the Lord with a deep love. He will do the work in you. It's his operation. But it requires your cooperation. You know, it's got to be the Lord, you guys. And once the Lord comes in, and I know some of you have experienced it, it's just so beautiful. He cuts away the flesh. He gives you victory. He gives you passion. He gives you zeal. He gives you love. It's like all you want to do, man, is just tell everybody about the Lord. And you want to be in the Word. And you really want to pray and fast. And you want to be a witness. And you're always asking the Lord, how can I shine at home? What can I do to really bring my kids to you? My wife. To meet her needs. And then it's the Lord. You see, God can do the work. In reading verse 6, one might conclude that the obedience with heart is the work of the Lord, and it's only the Lord. And again, without him, our hearts are only deceitful above all things, or desperately wicked, according to Jeremiah 17, 9. But if you give him your heart, he'll change your heart. If you give him your love, he will deepen your love. And he will give you his type of love. And that makes all the difference in the world. You know, for a lot of us here, man, we've got clogged arteries, right? A lot of us here, I mean, I'll bet you you'd be afraid to, like, what's really going on in my heart, man? I had a lot of Tommies, you know, growing up or whatever, you know. <laughs> oh, man, but, you know, spiritually, God can, God can give you a new heart. He can. And that's what we read in the Bible. Jeremiah thirty-two thirty-nine. then I will give them one heart, And one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and notice their children. 
with them. We read that over and over again, how God wants to bless your children through your life. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I love this. L- listen to this. That I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. It's like a tender heart. But do you see? Do you see how God does it? And not you? Do you see how you need to go and surrender on that table and let him do the work? And then he'll give you a new heart. And you'll be able to run again. But it's got to be the Lord doing the work. And like I said earlier, it requires humility where you know it's only got to be God and you, it requires sincerity where you really want it to be God. You really want to change. You really want to grow. You know, we see here in verse 7, also the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you, and you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand in the fruit of your body and in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for the good as he rejoiced over your fathers. And here the Lord says, man, if you obey me, he gets real specific. I'm going to take care of your enemies. Okay, and you got to know that only he can take care of your enemies. He'll take care of your enemies. Verse 7 and verse 9, we see that the people would abound in the fruit of their bodies and the increase of livestock, produce of the land. I love what it says there at the end of verse 9, for the Lord will again rejoice over you. He'll rejoice over you. And he loves you so much. And I know it's a hard study sometimes, man, because you're like, man, he wants me to get real. He wants me to get real. And, you know, but it's because God loves you and he wants to rejoice over you. He wants to celebrate. You know, I love what it says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Imagine that. One day God is going to sing over you. Isn't that cool? In verse 10, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God, notice again, with all your heart, with all your soul, for this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off, it is not in heaven that you should say who's going to ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. You see, the voice, command, statutes of the Lord are not too mysterious, complicated, difficult for us to understand. God says, you don't have to, you know, when it comes to living this life and the word of God, you know, you don't need somebody to travel up into heaven. and Oh, I can't wait until they come down. You don't need someone to cross the sea to bring it to you. You want to know why? Because you've heard it already. You just heard it. You just heard it right now. And it's there. It's in your heart. It's It's right there. It's on your lips. 
Paul the Apostle quoted from this in Romans chapter 10. He says, that's how you get saved. It's not far. It's not complicated. You don't need to go to heaven or across the sea. It's right there. It's right there. It's in you. All you've got to do is, is live this out. See? That's what he's saying, man. Like Moses, Paul is saying that the message of salvation is plain. It's understandable. And so we read in verse 15, he says, See, you know, look, man, here's the bottom line. We close with this. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Now, if I could just kind of look at that, life would be getting saved and then good would be enjoying your salvation. (laughs) Obviously, death is, you know, perishing. And evil, in one sense, might be a Christian who, who dies frustrated, saved soul, wasted life. He says, I've set before you life and good and death and evil. He says right there, See, I have set this before you and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But... If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, in other words, you put other things before God, maybe even yourself, Moses says this, and look at how formal this is, you guys. I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you, and there it is again, your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God and that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. It's just very final. It's very formal. Moses says, my hands are clean. I told you. Now you have to make a choice. And he, of course, he encourages them to choose life. In verse 20, he says, love the Lord. Love the Lord. Verse 20, he says, obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. In verse 20, he says, cling to the Lord. And that means stick to him. Super glue. Stay close. Stay with. He says right there, why? He is your life. He is your life. I like what it says in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So we close with Moses just saying, man, you guys, be loyal to him. You know, sometimes I think that we think, well, you don't know the the life that I live, Manny, and my... uh, my situation is just a little bit too difficult for God, you know. So, come on, chillax, you know. <laughs> and God is saying, no, I love you. I love you. And I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You take it one day at a time, moment by moment, and you ask God to give you the strength. And if you stumble, you get up and you live life according to the pattern that God has shown you. You know, He is your life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and 
the life. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, life is about the Lord that is in you, that is with you, that will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That he speaks to us in his word, even in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy. And he says this, man, that if you, if you will just follow me, if you will just walk with me, I will bless your life. I will prosper you in everything that you do. You might not be healthy, wealthy, you know, and you might not have, you know, I said a million times, the Hummer, the big house, but that's okay. You'll have the Lord. You'll have love. You'll have peace. You'll have joy. You will be blessed. Your spouse will be blessed. One day, you single people, you're going to get a, a cool guy or gal, man, somebody that really loves you. I mean, just, it just, everything comes together in the Lord. But on the flip side, without the Lord, everything falls apart, huh? And so what choice will we make? Father, I thank you so much for your word and just allowing us to read it uh, today. I know a lot of us here have made the choice to be saved, uh, but now I pray we would make another choice, and that is to absolutely surrender our life to you. I pray, Father, that you would cultivate a relationship with us, that we would cultivate a relationship with you, And I ask today, Lord, that there would be such a work going on that tonight you would take your spiritual scalpel and that you would circumcise our hearts. God, I just beg of you. I just plead with you. Give us a new heart. Please, Lord, don't let anyone here leave the same way they came in. We love you so much, Lord. And I pray, Lord, even just for my own life, God, I pray that tonight, Lord, you would touch me and that I would be more devoted to you. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in Calvary Chapel, Almani, Lord. And we pray you would continue to work in us and to work through us, something that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit in each and every life that's here today. Again, I thank you, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Amen. Let's all stand, you guys, and we'll close with a song.